Father, we pray that in each one of our own hearts. Father, we know that, that we all need to grow in, in the knowledge and, and love of you. We know that we all fall short, and so we pray that you would continue to, to transform our own hearts and to shape us and mold us so that we would become more like Jesus. So, Father, we pray that you would do that this morning as we come to your word. We know that your word is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. We know that your word is useful for shaping us to become who you want us to be. So, Father, we ask that you would do that as we open your word now. Shape us. Mold us to be your people. And anything that would distract us from hearing what you have to say to us through your word, just push that off to the side, Father, so we could hear you speak clearly and powerfully this morning. Father, we ask that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 8. And uh, you can almost just put a bookmark in there, because we're going to be looking at most of these same passages every week for a while. But this is the intro to where Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer, kind of the, the verses leading into that that we're going to look at before we, we dive fully into the Lord's Prayer. So Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8. This is Jesus speaking. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So... I've learned over the years that there are two questions that I can ask uh, the, the average typical Christian that will make them get uncomfortable really quickly and probably feel a little guilty. The first one is, how's your devotional life? And the second one is, how's your prayer life? Uh, and when you ask someone how their devotional life is, most people get kind of uncomfortable because I think we kind of struggle in this day and age to have a really solid devotional Life. I have a lot of people ask me, how do, I, how do I start having some kind of a devotional life? But what I've also recognized that even, even Christians whom we think would be really mature believers, if you say, how's your prayer life? They all, everybody feels like they fall far short of, of where we should be in, in our prayer life. Even people who have a, a really rigid devotional life they still feel like they fall short when it comes to prayer. And then they feel guilty that, that they're not praying. And then uh, we feel even more guilty when we read quotes like this. This is a quote from a guy named J.C. Riley. Um, he, he was a bishop of the Anglican Church in, in Liverpool uh, probably 100 years ago. Uh, but he said this, Observe again that our Lord takes it for granted that all who call themselves his disciples will pray. 
He assumes this also as a matter of course. He only gives directions as to the best way of praying. It's another lesson which deserves to be continually remembered. It teaches plainly that prayerless people are not genuine Christians. It's not enough to join in the prayers of the congregation on Sundays or attend the prayers of a family on weekdays. There must be private prayer also. Without this, we may be outward members of Christ's church, but we are not living members of Christ. Now, that's hard to hear, especially when we already feel maybe a little guilty about our prayerlessness. Um, But I think he's right um, that it's impossible to be a prayerless Christian. Um, And that kind of brings us to the question that the catechism asks is, okay, so why do Christians need to pray then? And uh, especially in Reformed circles, um, they ask this question a lot. I, I hear questions something like this in Reformed circles. Well, we know that God's sovereign. We know that God's in control of everything. We know that God knows the beginning from the end. We know that nothing's going to happen apart from the Father's will. So what's the point of praying? Isn't it all just going to happen? Now, there's a lot of ways to answer. I could spend like eight sermons just explaining that. And we kind of probably will as we go through the Lord's Prayer. But one of my favorite answers to that question is R.C. Sproul. Um, And his answer is, Christians need to pray because God commanded us to pray. (laughs) And that should be enough. Maybe you don't understand it. Maybe you don't. But God said you need to pray. And so that should be enough. The Catechism builds on that a little bit, um, and I think it's really helpful. The Catechism says, all right, so why do Christians need to pray? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. And also, because God gives his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually and groan inwardly, asking God for these gifts and thanking God for them. And And what the catechism is getting at is anyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation alone has to be thankful for that if you're truly saved. You have to be thankful for that salvation. You have to be thankful for that blessing. And if you're thankful for it, where do you give thanks? It has to be through prayer to God. And, and then the other side of that, anyone who's thankful for the salvation and the blessings that God has poured out on them is also some days going to feel like they don't live up to that standard, like they've fallen short and they need God's grace and they need God's mercy and strength and guidance. And so where do you turn if you need that? Prayer. You have to. It's, it's a necessary part of our salvation to be constantly thanking God for the salvation and the blessings that he gives, but also going to him saying, I need your grace, I need your mercy, because I fell short again. But it's the natural outworking of the Christian life. That's why you can say it so clearly and bluntly that there's no such thing as a prayerless Christian. It has to be. Uh, it has to be part of our, of our lives. But, but what I really found interesting this week is that as Jesus begins to teach his disciples how to pray, he actually, before he really dives in and says, this is how you should pray, he starts off and says, this is how you should not pray. 
which I think kind of catches some people off guard because we think, well, prayer is just, just kind of the overflow of my heart and what I want to say. And Jesus says, actually, it's not. There are some ways that you should not pray. And he gives us two reasons. He says, uh, the one he says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And, and throughout the Bible, the word Gentiles is used in a lot of different ways. And this is before the Gentiles are brought into the church. And so this is mainly being used for those who are not part of God's people, right? So we would say they're, they're non believers, non Christians. And so what Jesus is saying is, when you pray, don't pray like a non-believer. And you think, well, that seems like common sense, doesn't it? Why would I pray if I'm a non-believer? But Jesus says, when a non-believer prays to God, they heap up empty phrases and they talk and they talk and they talk and they talk and they talk. And he says, don't pray that way. And the question is, what, is, what does he mean when, when we read about heaping up Empty phrases. Um, I like the NIV translation. They keep babbling on like the pagans. That's, um, but, but there's this phrase. That, so there's another guy. We're going to have a lot of quotes today because there's just so many good things that other people have said about prayer. And they've said it much better than me. Um, but John Stott, he's also an Anglican. Um, the Anglicans have thought a lot about prayer. Um, but he's going to kind of take a shot at Anglicans, but just realize he's kind of shooting at himself in this. And he's trying to figure out what does it mean to heap up empty phrases. He says, so are Anglicans guilty of botologia, which just means heaping up empty, that's the Greek word? He says, yeah, no doubt some are. For the use of set forms of prayer does permit an approach to God with the lips while the heart's far from him. But then it's equally possible to use empty phrases in extemporary prayer and to lapse into religious jargon while the mind wanders. To sum up, what Jesus forbids his people is any kind of prayer with the mouth when the mind is not engaged. And I would say when the mind and heart are, are not engaged. Um, but what he's getting at, you know, the Anglicans are known for having like the Book of Common Prayer and, and all these, and they have all these written out prayers. And he said, some people can take and read a written prayer and just read it and their mind's not engaged. They just kind of just keep saying it. And so a lot of denominations have gotten away from written prayers because they think, oh, we're, we're breaking this commandment. But he also says, but I've encountered a lot of people who just pray from the heart and they start praying and a whole lot of empty phrases start coming out of their mouth. They, they just get used to saying things like, I pray a hedge of protection around. And it's like, well, what is a hedge of protection? But it's just something we've prayed. Or, or you'll notice like little kids will pray, well, bless this food to our body. But they'll just say it every time, like whether you've eaten or you haven't eaten. But it's just something that they say because this is what we say. And, and you'll encounter people who just start praying and all of a sudden their whole voice and manner and tone, they start saying words that they would never say in real life. And, and, we can pray without engaging our mind and our heart when we just do it extemporaneously or when we're reading a written prayer. Not, one is not better than the other, I would say. But any prayer where our mind and our heart's not engaged is, is a prayer that's heaping up empty phrases. And, but what, what's interesting is Jesus explains why we shouldn't pray this way. 
he says this, that, that the non-believer prays this way because they think they will be heard for their many words. They think they have to heap up all of these words. They think they have to keep talking on and on and on. They think they have to say the right words in the right ways and the right phrases in order for God to hear them. And they think that because they're not a believer. They don't actually trust God. And so when a non-believer comes to God in prayer, they, they think, all right, I don't really trust him. And so what I need to do is I need to say the right words. I need to get him motivated to do what I want him to do. And sometimes they'll, they'll read prayers as if it's like a magic spell. Like if I just say the right words in the right ways, then, then I will move the hand of God to do for me what I want him to do. Because they don't think God actually cares about them. They're God's approval. They had to cut themselves and yell louder, right? Actually, Elijah makes fun of them. Maybe you need to yell louder. He can't hear you. Because they're screaming and yelling, trying to make their God move. And Jesus says, that's not our God. Non-believers pray that way. And so when you pray as a believer, don't pray like that. He also says, when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And as I was thinking about this, you know, we've been, we've been going through John, and John talks a lot about hypocrites, Right? And, and we've been noticed there's a difference between a non-believer and a hypocrite, right? Because the non-believer doesn't believe in God, doesn't trust in God, and doesn't want anybody to think that they do. But the hypocrite doesn't really believe in God, doesn't really trust God, but they want everybody to think that they do. That's why they, they have to stand up in front of everybody and, and, and pray so that everybody looks at them and goes, wow, look how much they trust in God, even though they don't actually do that. And so Jesus says, when you pray, don't do that. Uh, and he gives a couple reasons why it's wrong to pray like a hypocrite. He says they pray so that they would be seen by others. Right? They, they're, they're praying in such a way that they, have, they want everybody to have their eyes on, on them. Which really starts to beg the question, if you're praying so that other people would look at you, who are you praying to? not the God of the universe. Uh, you're praying to the people in front of you. You want them. They, you want them to hear what you have to say, not, not God. And so just, right, Jesus says, don't do that. <laughs> That's why the catechism says, if, if we want to pray in a way that pleases God, in a way that he listens to us, it says, first we must pray from the heart to no other than the one true God. Right? It'll come from your heart, but it can be to no other than the one true God. And so if you're trying to pray to the people around you, Jesus says, that's not prayer that pleases God. And it's not prayer that he listens to. Don't pray like that. I've spent a lot of time thinking about this because this is the temptation of every single pastor out there, right? Pastors are guilty of taking prayers and turning them into mini-sermonettes for everybody to hear, right? 
drives me crazy. Um, And if you ever catch me doing that, rebuke me, please. Because this is what Jesus is saying not to do. Those prayers, when pastors do that, that is not a prayer that pleases God. Because you're not praying to God, you're preaching to people, and it's different. And so I get, get frustrated about that. I try really hard not to give little sermonettes. But, but the same struggle happens, not just for pastors, but the same struggle happens anytime we gather as Christians to pray in groups. Because we, we, people can start to get uncomfortable. I don't know if you've ever been in a prayer group when that's happened, where you feel like one person trying to up the next and how like spiritual they are and what kind of words they can use. And, and it turns into this, we're trying to pray to everyone around us and not pray to God. And Jesus says, those are not the kind of prayers that please God. Because you're praying to the people around you and not to me. And he says, God doesn't listen to those prayers. The prayers that God listens to are the prayers that come from your heart to him alone. And when you're praying from the heart to God alone, then it doesn't matter how pretty you pray. It doesn't matter if you use the right words or the right phrases. God is pleased when you're praying from the heart to him alone. And, and I also, I should clarify, uh, you know, some people, I've encountered a number of people who've read this passage over the years and said, like, this means we should never pray in public because Jesus says, go in your closet and pray. And so, um, and that's not what this is saying because we're commanded in other places to gather together as God's people to pray. I mean, he commanded people to, to gather in the temple and to pray to him. So, so we're commanded to gather and pray, but, but what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, be very aware of the temptation that comes anytime you gather with other people to pray, that you're going to make that prayer about you and not about God. And that temptation always, every time I pray on a Sunday morning, there's a temptation for me to make it about what do these people think about what I'm about to say. Right? Every time we get up and share prayer requests on a Sunday morning, it's a, it, there's a temptation hanging there for all of us to get up and try to do that in a way that's saying, let everybody look at me and how spiritual I am. And Jesus is saying, don't do that because it's not about you. It's about God. And if you want to pray in a way that pleases God, you have to fight that temptation through the power of the Spirit and pray only to God from the heart. He also says that the problem with praying like a hypocrite is that the hypocrite acts like they're, they're holy and righteous and that they have the right to be in the presence of God. He says about the hypocrite, he says, I say to you, they've received their reward, right? And what he's saying is they're, they're standing out on the street corners praying because they want everybody to look at them and say, look how holy and righteous they are because they think they're holy and righteous. And they think they deserve to be in the presence of God. And Jesus says, don't pray like that. Um, that's why the, the catechism says this. The, the second part of a prayer that pleases God and that he listens to is that we must fully recognize our need and misery so that we humble ourselves in God's majestic presence. It says we don't, we don't come into God's presence acting like we own the place or like we're a big deal. We come into God's presence with our head down and our eyes closed, 
thankful for the opportunity and humbled by the opportunity to be in God's presence. And so these are the ways we're told not to pray. Don't pray like a non-believer that doesn't trust God. Don't pray like a hypocrite that doesn't trust God. But when you pray, he says, when you come to God and pray, you need to pray as a child is coming to a father and as a father in whom you've put all of your trust. And that'll change everything. He says, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And, and it's no coincidence that next week when we dive into the Lord's Prayer, we're told to start off by saying what? Our Father in heaven, which we'll dive into that more next week. When we pray, we need to have in our hearts, in our hearts and in our minds, that we're coming to a Father in whom we trust and who cares for us. And, and a Father who, who sees us in secret and a Father who rewards us in secret. And, and what he's saying is you're coming because you want the Father's praise. You want the Father to be pleased in you, not the people around you. You want the Father to reward you, not the people around you. You're just coming to him because you trust him and you love him and you know that he wants what's best for you. And it changes everything. Because if you think in your mind that God's some like distant, far away deity who doesn't really care for you, then you think you need to manipulate him, coerce him, command him to do what you want him to do. Right? You think you need to do, put on a show to get him to do all of this stuff. Uh, as, like non believers and hypocrites, they, they think they see God as a power to be used for their wants their desires, their purposes. And Jesus says, that's not who our God is. So don't pray like that. Our God is a father in whom we can trust with everything. And he's a father who cares for us and provides for us. And, he's a, and it says he's a father who knows what you need before you ask him. Right? That's why you don't have to manipulate him. That's why you don't need to command him to do what you want him to do. When you come to God in prayer, you know he already knows what you need before you even say it because he's a good father. And so you don't have to try to manipulate him. You don't have to try to command him. You don't have to try to cast some spell. You just come to your father and say, thank you, and here's where I'm at. Again, Calvin has a really good line on this. He says, whoever's convinced that God not only cares for us, but knows all our wants and anticipates our wishes and anxieties before we've even stated them, will leave out vain repetitions. We'll reckon it enough to prolong his prayers as far as shall be necessary for exercising his faith. Reckon it absurd and ridiculous to approach God with rhetorical embellishments in the expectation that he will be moved by an abundance of words. When you come to a, a father in whom you trust and whom you know knows everything you need before you say it, you can just come to your God and say, help. And that's enough. Now, you could, Calvin says, you could pray long enough so that your faith is stirred up and you're reminded of who your God is, but, but you don't have to try to convince him to care for you. He already is 
cares for you, and it changes everything. And we have to keep all of this in mind because this, is, this changes how we pray everything else as we go through, through the Lord's Prayer. It changes us in His Word. So you don't deserve to be in God's presence because you've sinned. Sin separates you from God. Sin builds this wall between you and God. So apart from Jesus Christ, you try to pray and your prayers hit the wall, hit the wall, hit the wall, hit the wall. And the only way you get around the wall or through the wall, or probably better, the only way the wall is completely destroyed is through Jesus Christ. That's why you can enter into the presence of God. That's why there's not this separation anymore. Not because you deserve it, because Christ lived and died and rose again for you. And because of Jesus Christ now, we're told we can have confidence that what? We're children of God. And now God views us as his children, and we can view God as our Father. And that, again, changes the way we pray. And because we know he's our father, we know he'll give us everything we need. And, and this is one of those passages someone encouraged me to memorize and hold on to a long time ago that will shape the entire way that we pray is this. Our father did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That. That's who we pray to, the God who gave his own son for us, the God who took care of our biggest, greatest, most foundational need. And so when we come to him in prayer, there should be no doubt in our minds that he will take care of all of those other needs that we have, both physical and spiritual, because we can trust him. We could trust him with our whole lives so we don't come to him as a God whom, whom we don't trust. We come to him and we say, Lord, I trust you. I have faith in you. I love you. You've cared for me. Now help. And I trust you to act. Let's come to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we come into your presence thankful that you're our God. As we've already said uh, it would be a fearful life for us to live if we didn't know you were our Father. We'd be anxiously running around trying to manipulate you to do what we want you to do. And so, Father, we're thankful for being our Father, for the way that you care for us, provide for us. And, Father, we confess that we often don't live and act as if you're a Father in whom we trust. We often put our trust in ourselves. We often think we know better. So we ask that you'd forgive us. We ask that you would cleanse us and renew us and restore us. We ask that your spirit would, would move in us and strengthen us and equip us. And we ask that your spirit would change our hearts and minds so that we would see you as our Father in whom we can trust. And that we would live that way and, and pray that way each and every day. Not like a non-believer, not like a hypocrite, but as a child. Father, do that work in us. And be pleased by the way we live and by the way we pray. All God's people said. Amen. Amen.